Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Chandro. This podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today, I invited Rebecca Bella, a qualified counselor, a coach, a five times best-selling author and illustrator and creator of the popular Instagram community, Journey to Wellness, to share with us how we can get out of the fawn nervous system response. Rebecca and I have collaborated a few times now. I have been a guest speaker in her membership on the relationship between diet, gut health, and anxiety, and I'll be doing two more workshops in the upcoming months in her membership. One on how hormones influence anxiety, and another on my favorite thing ever to talk about, cycle syncing. I just adore this woman and everything she does, and I'm just so glad we connected, and now we're doing so many fun things together. Have you heard of the fawn nervous system response? It's a trauma-induced reaction that occurs when individuals feel the need to appease and please others to avoid perceived danger or conflict. Common symptoms of the fawn response include people-pleasing behaviors, difficulty setting boundaries, struggling to say no, and taking responsibility for others' emotions. So if you're nodding your head along thinking, yep, that's me, this episode will be for you. In this episode, Rebecca and I dive into somatic practices to alleviate anxiety and improve emotional control, the fawn response's role in polyvagal theory and its impact on our daily life, the power of mindfulness, curiosity, and compassion in personal growth. Uh, We talk about what body-based techniques can help address trauma and its lasting effects, and how to strengthen your ability to set boundaries and harness the power of saying no. Okay. No more dilly-daddling. Let's jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Rebecca. I'm so excited that you're here and we're finally doing this. We had a little bit of a time zone mishap, but it happens. We had a good laugh about it. Rebecca is the best-selling author and illustrator and creator of the popular Instagram community, Journey to Wellness, which we will link in the show notes. When you first reached out to me a few months ago, I was like, she knows who I am. (laughs) I was like kind of fangirling (laughs) a little bit because I love your Instagram community so much. She makes mental health tools and resources accessible, digestible, and just a little bit of fun through her websites and many courses and online classes. So one, I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. I was actually going through your Instagram and I was like, what do I want to talk about? Because you talk about so many amazing things. And oh, I also forgot to say that you're a therapist and a counselor. (laughs) So what we're going to talk about today is the somatic practices that can help us move out of the fawn response and people pleasing. But before we get into that, introduce yourself and tell us how you got to be where you are. This is, I say I get this question a lot, like, you know, how did you get to be where you are? Because I guess Instagram, when you look at that, it's quite a big community and it, it's people huge. want to know how. And I honestly, I'm like, I do, it was accidental. <laughs> it really was. 
and I don't think I, I planned it this way, but I'm so happy that this is where I am and this is what I do. Um, but it's never sort of my intention. It's just this lucky accident. And well, I mean, that's probably not a nice way to own some of the responsibility <laughs> that I had in it. But um, my background, as you said, is in counselling. So I've been working in mental health for about 13, coming up 14 or so years now. And um, I just I just started out in a counselling practice, just working with different organisations. I worked in brief intervention services. I worked in um, different alternative education providers and with um, youth with um, like brief interventions and drug and alcohol and mental health and um, wound up after a little while working in, in a high school. I don't know if you call them high schools or colleges or, you know, they're sort of our age 13 to 18 year olds. Yeah, high school. Um, I was working yeah. in, in their high school. Yeah. So I was working there as a counsellor. And what I was finding between there and working with adults was that it's really easy to be taught a tool to discuss some amazing things in the therapy space and then when you go back into your life and into the real world and then you're met with a challenge and you know that you've done the work to you know do something different or maybe you think oh I was given this tool what was it and it kind of all goes out the window for a lot of people because we revert back into our old patterns and so this is kind of where in the journey to wellness thing and Instagram came from was I thought okay let's you know illustrate some of these concepts and tools and ideas that we discuss in the counseling room and put them on an Instagram page for my clients to follow and that was all it was ever meant to be and then you know fast forward a few years and it's sort of about 360 something thousand followers now and it just became this beast of its own um, and that's sort of where a publisher approached me. That's where the books came from. And I realized that actually this was the perfect platform to deliver mental health and therapeutic advice and interventions and tools in a way that is really, really accessible for people. It's online, it's visual, um, and it's so much less expensive when you can deliver it to like a membership or a bigger audience in that way so many more people get to access it so it mm -hmm. ended up being um this kind of really lovely thing that I am obviously you can probably hear it but like stupidly passionate about and in love with what I do yeah yeah and I'm so visual so that was one of the many things that drew me to your account was I'm so visual, I'm visual and I'm tactical. So I need to see everything and I need to do it myself. And that's how I learn it. Like I love podcasts, but audiobooks I can't do. I need to read it or I won't absorb the information. And you just have a published a new book, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, my fifth one just came out. Um, and that one is called Be Your Best self it's real different than the others like it still has all those visual elements but it's much more of a read which is kind of branching in a different direction um for me but it's going really well bless its heart so I'm um, I'm stoked with that that's amazing we'll link like where to get all of those but let's dive into okay first I want you to explain what is somatic what does somatic mean what does somatic practices mean and then 
let's talk about what the fawn response is, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, uh, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Somatic or, you know, soma just means body, you know, so somatic practices are, are just really using the body in, in ways to, to heal, to regulate emotions, regulate the nervous system, process trauma. Um, you know, you could look at any kind of movement and body-based thing and call it a somatic practice. It's when we kind of bring it into this therapeutic context, we kind of framing it with real intention around maybe looking at nervous system states or looking at what is happening in the body as a result of where the nervous system's at or as a result of stored trauma or unprocessed emotions and then using body-based practices in order to begin to move through and heal those things and for me like this is almost like a relatively new branch of my business and work and mental health like you know over the last few years because when you get trained when I started in, in this there was no emphasis on the nervous system or on the body like barely anything I don't remember this being referenced at all it's all stuff that I've had to train in postgraduate you know so you come at a lot and a lot of therapies come at our problems or our traumas through a real cognitive model and we call it like top down you know a top down approach which is kind of looking at thoughts and beliefs and maybe we're looking at behaviors that we're that we're doing that are not so healthy or helpful and I kind of discovered like we're just, it's missing this huge piece of the puzzle, huge piece of the puzzle, especially when it comes to trauma or when it comes to our nervous system, like regulating a dysregulated nervous system. And so these somatic practices and tools do that. They bring in the body because the nervous system doesn't communicate through language and it doesn't really even communicate with our thoughts very well a lot of the time we can be thinking one thing like I'm okay like I'm safe why am I doing this and yet in the body be feeling completely anxious and disrupted and or dissociated or all these things so you you know people know what that feels like to be having two different experiences in one body you know the body's doing one thing and the mind's doing another so somatic is our bottom up processing or practices we use that language of the nervous system and we use the body in order to to start to work through some of those things so it's um it was revolutionary to me when I started to you know train in some of the stuff and just started even to to use it because you can be someone who you know has a yoga practice or does all of that kind of thing and still not be working at that level you know just because you do something with your body doesn't necessarily mean that you're healing those things so it's a real intentional use of our body I work with a lot of uh yogis and a lot of them tell me you know like I'm a yoga teacher I do yoga all the time like I shouldn't be feeling this way and I'm a yoga and meditation teacher I'm a yogi so I mean I can talk about the benefits of yoga until the cows come home but do I think that's enough to move through uh anxiety panic depression no and I've learned that firsthand because I actually got into yoga 
almost right away uh, when I was first diagnosed, because that was something that a friend of mine had used as a tool and, and she was my roommate. So she would bring me to classes. Um, but I love that you pointed out that in your training, there wasn't a lot of emph emphasis on somatic. It was very kind of talk and very top down. That was my experience. Like I started therapy in 2011 and the therapist that I am with now is somatically trained and, and we do a lot of somatic stuff and a lot of talk therapy. But in the beginning, when my anxiety and panic disorder was so bad and my depression, talk therapy was getting me nowhere and CBT was getting me nowhere. And so from 2011 until 2016, I kind of almost had like this chip on my shoulder about therapy and I kept doing it because I think, I don't know, in some way I was just hopeful that something would change or I thought it was really my only option. But I have so many conversations with women in my DMs and even my clients who are just like, you know, therapy didn't work, therapy isn't working. And I ask them like, is it just talk therapy or are you also bringing in somatic practices? And a lot of women will be like, what is that? Like, what's a somatic practice? So I'm super excited to talk about it in the lens of the fawn response. Cause I think so many women are going to be able to relate to this. So explain the fawn, uh, the fawn response. So many people don't even know about this one, you know, when no. you say like, you know, they have no idea of a phrase, you know, yeah. Do you know like the, the other Fs and they're like, what? <laughs> There's another one. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, so a fawn, I think when people find out about it, it's like, oh my gosh, like it a clicks. penny drops and you can yeah. kind of really, yeah, really like make that connection. It's, it's like, it's more than just people pleasing as well. It brings in such um, a beautiful kind of explanation around what's happening in the body. And I, I think in doing that, we're able to kind of take some of the shame and the self-judgment out of it. So like really briefly, just in terms of what's going on in the nervous system, um, we have an autonomic nervous system and it has these two branches, right? It has sympathetic and parasympathetic. And I mean, gosh, when it when I did my training, that's all I knew that there was. It was like sympathetic's bad and that's stress and parasympathetic <laughs> means we're calm. But it's actually so much more detailed than that and so much more nuanced. Our sympathetic nervous system is actually really just all about mobilization, activation, and yes, fight and flight live in there. So that's where we'd experience anger and where we experience anxiety, like escape, panic, avoidance, movement towards if we're angry, movement away if we're anxious, all of that kind of stuff. And it's also just, I mean, yes, it's our stress response, but it is also just where we get our mobilization and energy from too. It's so not bad. It's really normal to have. Yeah. It's not bad. It's yeah, just when exactly. we're stuck we're gonna and sympathetic. And if we're sympathetically dominant, then we start, yeah. then that shifts into undesirable territory. But the sympathetic nervous system has a role to play. It has kept us out of danger for years and years and years. So it's not bad. We just don't want to be constantly in that system. Exactly. So those full expressions of fight and flight have an absolute role to play when they're used in our protection and our survival. But then also just levels of sympathetic is what we're going to use throughout our day. Like there'll be levels of that within both of us right now because we're active, we're going, we've got we're excited to do this podcast, you know, we're excited. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and then there's our parasympathetic 
which we kind of all know as rest, digest and restore. And so when we think about that, we're thinking about actually the ventral vagal branch of it. So it has two branches, ventral vagal and dorsal, dorsal vagal. So ventral vagal is that calm, resilient, we feel socially connected. You sometimes hear it as like oriented to your environment. So you're able to just be present and to feel kind of safe in this moment. And it's also where like creativity lives and all of those kind of lovely things that we want. And then on a body-based level, it's also where our digestive system is working properly. Um, you know, we're, we're able to sleep well, all of those things. So then there's that dorsal vagal branch, which runs down the back of the body. And this is said to be like our oldest and most primitive threat response. And this is what we know is like your freeze. And there's also different layers within that. So we've got full freeze, which is like a full collapse, which is where you might see your heart rate slowing down. You might faint. Uh, then we've got kind of this mixing that can happen with a little bit of dorsal and also a little bit of sympathetic where we feel stuck and unmotivated but also like oh my gosh I should be doing a million things and I still feel really stressed and anxious and tense but I can't get going so there's that level of freeze and then this is also where like we find depression and shame and that real kind of stuckness or numbing or dissociation so our fawn response is sort of this weird mixture of nervous system states so it's a lot of different it pulls from kind of a lot of different energy pieces and I kind of think of this whole system a little bit like a car right so our sympathetic nervous system is like pushing down on the accelerator the gas pedal and getting us going and mobilizing and then our ventral vagal or you might have heard it referred to as like your vagal break that's like us sort of pumping down on the foot brake and slowing things down and bringing everything back to calm after we've been activated. It keeps us in our window of tolerance, brings things back, keeps us resilient. Then freeze response is more like ripping up the handbrake, like ah, <laughs> shutting stop! the system down, pulling everything. <laughs> stop! Yeah. It's the emergency brake, well, like holy freeze. <laughs> emergency brake. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. We go into that because it, maybe we've been stressed and, and sympathetic for way too long. The body goes, I can't sustain this. I'm going to conserve energy and shut us down. We also go into freeze if something is like too soon, too much, too fast, you know, too big a threat. So, you know, we think about this, think about this in terms of clients of mine who may be, um, you know, slight trigger warning here, but being through some sexual assault or something like that has happened and they've just shut down completely and they, they didn't move and they think why didn't they fight why didn't they run the body doesn't have that option so it rips up the handbrake and so our form response is kind of this mixture it's like driving a car with the <laughs> trying to push the accelerator and have the handbrake up at the same Which time. Which I have done, by like, the way, in an actual car. <laughs> I think we've all done that. Yeah. And you're like, and why, why is like, it going? Not moving. <laughs> yeah. I'm revving. There's a lot of revving. Yeah, what's happening not a here? lot of real productive movement. <laughs> <laughs> so Fawn, I kind of see like that. Whereas, so in Fawn, we've got a little bit of sympathetic, right? So we've got like that that fear response and that stress response because you know we feel like we've got to please and appease 
someone. We're in a situation where the threat might be a person and it feels like, you know, we have that slight energy activated, but we're not able to get away. And so we bring in these components of dorsal, like kind of shutting down our own feelings, our own needs and wants and maybe shutting down any boundaries we've got in order to start acting in ways that please and appease this person and then we almost borrow from elements of ventral vagal because we're kind of still looking happy you know we're still looking like I'm engaged and we're doing the right thing and we're making eye contact maybe with the person and so like just just to kind of explain like what on earth would we be doing this for for some people that starts or for a lot of people that fawn kind of gets established in childhood so maybe that's with a parent right who is unpredictable and reactive and you know they 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 might get really really angry and explosive there might be a very real threat that this person would get angry and hit you or yell at you or shame you shun you put you in your room or maybe they were just dealing with their own mental health or addictions and so they just took up so much space that there was no room for you and you also had to learn I need to read this person like all the time I need to know how they're feeling so that I can adjust my own behavior because as a child we don't have the option to just leave that relationship you have to please and appease this person and you also have this dual drawer uh, draw, right of one part of you is like I want to get out of here this is you know a threat let me let me move let me run or fight and the other part of you is like this is my attachment person I want to attach to this so you went like attaching to the threat which is very scary and confusing on the nervous system and hence we sometimes end up with a fawn so we end up pleasing appeasing looking like we're kind of doing the right thing and making them happy reading them constantly shutting down what it is we feel maybe dissociating from our body and then this can start to be quite reflexive so it shows up in our adult relationships in our adult life and we can also just develop this we might not have had that in our childhood we can still develop these fawn like people pleasing things uh, people will relate to that if they've been in like a toxic work environment or a toxic relationship where you've wanted to attach but this person is threatening and so we abandon parts of ourselves. So there's so much to it. It's like, I feel like I could go on for hours, but that's kind of a brief, um, <laughs> brief rundown of the form response in action. I, I mean, I was, I'm not anymore, but I mean, I still have my moments. So maybe you can call myself like a recovering people pleaser, but I was like such a people pleaser and I can definitely relate to some of those childhood experiences that you were talking about. And I also think that it's just something that's ingrained in little girls as well, right? Like even just kind mm. of leaving the nervous system out of it. It's just like, I, you know, be a good girl, be nice, be well-behaved, be well-mannered, like get good grades in school. And it's like this subconscious program programming that like my role is to make other people happy my role is to serve others my role is to one day grow up and have a family of my own and take care of everybody that's just like this messaging so I really relate to some of the childhood like 
triggers is that the word or is there a better word for it but kind of childhood circumstances because some of the things that you were saying I definitely experienced and then I can also just very deeply relate to that's what I felt like the messaging was my entire life was just like put other people first make other people happy be small don't take up too much space absolutely and I do think and I I hate to kind of gender it but there is more emphasis on women around those roles and it'll be like you know she's so lovely and quiet and or or we get those messages from parents like when you if you think back like when was the time where you really said no and like tried to hold a boundary and then half the time as a kid you're like sent to your room yeah when you do that so (laughs) you get in trouble you try to state yeah you state your own needs if you put a boundary out there the the consequence is like detachment like you're not like you're not accepted off you go you have to be put in the space until you can sort yourself out and come out and do what everyone else wants you to do and because i think anger i guess is again this is gendering but like anger is seems to be a little bit more acceptable in boys like they're meant to be like rough and tumble and angry and aggressive and not so much in girls you, you kind of end up starting to push those things down and then we have these these identity beliefs that sound like oh you know I'm just easygoing and I'm you know I'm a nurturer or other people I just I'm there to serve and heal and help other people or I don't do conflict and we we have all of these little belief things that come in around people I'm the cool girlfriend that actually don't serve (laughs) I'm the easy girlfriend I'm I'm so so, (laughs) I'm so chill like I'm so chill Meanwhile, I have you're no dying needs. inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That basically means yeah. I have no needs. I don't communicate my needs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then, yeah, like if we do take fawn and, and that kind of nervous system stuff out of it, that's what you see is just those patterns of people pleasing. We struggle with boundaries. You know, we struggle to say no. And you probably also see, I think, a lot in people who would maybe identify as empaths or highly sensitive people. And so it feels like you pick up other people's emotions quite easily. And there's this thing called personalization that I think happens with people pleases a lot. And that's where someone else says something or is in a mood and we think, either it's my responsibility to fix this and to sort this out and there's like this sense of urgency around I've got to you know fix this get rid of this discomfort that's happening here um or this is my fault like this person's angry I've obviously done something like and we just turn it on ourselves like what is it I have done and that's that's people pleasing that's fawning coming up in in our relationships as well I actually noticed that happens in my partnership. It's so interesting that we can make such progress in certain areas of our life. And maybe progress is is the wrong word, but I feel like with boundaries, for example, my boundaries in my sleep, in what I eat, in like my physical health life are solid. And everybody kind of knows that about me now. And nobody says anything anymore. It's just like, oh yeah, she doesn't eat this. She does eat this. She goes to bed at this time. She's not going to come. She's going to go home late. Like that's just what people are go home early. That's just what people come have come to expect from me now. Cause it's been since 2015 mm-hmm. and then at work, strong, strong, strong boundaries, you know, with my clients, strong boundaries in my relationship, strong boundaries. But then 
I'll notice things where if my partner's in a mood, like it's okay for me to be in a bad mood, but if he's in a bad mood, I'm like, what did I do? Did I do something or I need to fix this? And, um, one of the therapists I follow on Instagram, like just happened to post a thing being like, if your partner's in a mood, let him be in a mood or let them be in the mood. It went on to explain it. And I was, I was like, Oh, that did I just fawn? Am I fawning right now? <laughs> and I was like, interesting. It's just kind of cool. Once you have yeah. this perspective and this awareness and now, now that I no longer have an anxiety disorder, panic disorder, or depression. Therapy is 10 times more interesting because I feel like I can actually participate in talk therapy in a way that I wasn't able to do before. And I can understand things and be curious about things and be more like willing to kind of really go into my trigger and be like, why did that happen? It's less scary now that I've removed all those like really uncomfortable physical sensations that came with the mental illnesses that I had. Did you learn polyvagal theory in your training? Not in my original training. It's something I did postgraduate. Yeah. And and again, something that is shocking to me that that wasn't included. It's like fundamental to me. Yeah. So these are all things we had to speak out. But I mean, I love what you're saying because I think when you get to a place of being able to regulate your nervous system or to sit with feelings of discomfort, then you get to be able to be a lot more curious. And I think from a place of curiosity and a place of compassion, you can grow and change and heal so much because usually we come from a place of resistance or a place where I call them like protection parts and they just jump up and constantly get in the driver's seat of our lives. You know, it's like, no anxiety. It's like, oh, no, no, shut this down. Or, you know, our people pleaser part comes in or, whatever part our perfectionist parts and they all take over so it's it's so cool that you've got to that place but it's also so interesting as well because then because no one's perfect right no one's like fully healed and everything is amazing and so we say and the the two of us are really similar with this like we say we've overcome anxiety we've overcome depression we've overcome panic attacks it doesn't mean we don't feel anxious sometimes it's a normal human emotion it doesn't mean you don't feel like you have down periods of your life, but you come at them differently. It's like, okay, you're allowed to be here. I'm, I can see what it is that's going on. We know what to do to sit with it and then also to kind of come out of it at the end. And it's interesting to see the echoes then of how things like people-pleasing and fawning pop up like they do with your partner. And it's interesting because it's often in those real intimate relationships where it can be harder to hold boundaries in those intimate spaces that's that's kind of where mine would pop up too it's like with people who are really really close to me that will be where I feel those people pleasing parts come up you know it's like oh my god yeah there's a part of me that is here to like ready to say yes to something I don't want to or you know he's in a pissy mood after work and I'm like yeah like trying to figure out how to fix it (laughs) we don't actually have to do that I'm I'm safe in this moment like I can he can feel that and I can be here and be safe in my body and I've learned to be able to say hang on is this feeling mine no it's not that's theirs that's their anxiety or that's you know I'm feeling anxious because they're feeling angry (laughs) or you know they're pulling away and it's like okay no that's not my feeling this is a reaction to this I know what this is so 
it's such a nice place to come to that everyone is capable of of coming to it's really funny because I get uh, asked a lot, you know, if you don't have anxiety, panic, and depression anymore, why aren't you still in therapy? I'm like, oh man, like I, I wish that everybody could be in therapy and everyone could have access to therapy because I honestly don't know how I would navigate my relationship or my life without somebody to help me unpack why I'm doing the things I do and why I'm thinking the things I think and why I'm reacting the way I think. You know, I see her every couple of months as needed kind of thing. Sometimes I'll go six, eight months. It depends on what's going on in my life. But it's so fascinating to me why like we do the things we do and and just like these automatic kind of responses but anyway circling back to fawn (laughs) so what are some kind of like if people are listening to this and and they're like oh okay like how do i know if i'm fawning like how do i know if i'm in that font i know you kind of explained it but what are some kind of classic signs and symptoms for people to identify if they're in that fawn nervous system response and then what can we do about it? Yeah, so there are lots of different things that can happen somatically that are our little red flags or indications that we're in this kind of dysregulated place in our nervous system. And so we can definitely tune in and keep an eye out for them. I'll, I'll let you, I'll kind of go through what some of them are, but also to, to before I kind of do that, the other part of it can be actually a real disconnect and that can be an indication that I'm in a place where I'm dissociative which is what we often do in fawn as well because it's like I don't want to be here but I have to be here so I'm going to check out and so we get that brain body kind of split or disconnection so some people who have been fawn or people pleasers may identify more with actually not really knowing how they feel in their body or their emotions or they feel a little bit numb um they don't feel fully present or if you ask them like what do you really value like what are your needs in a relationship they might not be able to tell you (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they have suppressed their own needs for so long that they're completely disconnected from them and so if that was the case you would start at like a really low um gentle level of just starting to practice coming back into your body and that could be as simple as like just checking like a body scan checking in with your posture like rubbing your feet along the floor and seeing what that feels like like tuning back into what hunger feels like all of those kinds of things might be a place for someone to start um but some typical, if you're more someone who does feel into your stress response and your body is responding to that, you might have things like um, chronic kind of muscle tension and pain. And a lot of people pleasers have like long-term or chronic like neck and shoulder and upper back pain. Yes. This is definitely like, where it shows mm, up for me. So many of my clients, so many. It's like that upper, yeah. like the neck, shoulder. Yeah. And I can definitely resonate with the disassociating and that that almost like numbness and mm-hmm. not being present I would say that was kind of more me yeah. but um I mean I work with so many women that I I they're in both camps like you said 
yeah I think you and you can fluctuate too right yeah like sometimes you feel really not present in your life and you feel real spacey and foggy in the head and just disconnected and then other times you feel like hypersensitive and hyper vigilant and it's like that anxiety piece of the puzzle comes in more so like this would be on the dissociative spectrum would be more of our dorsal and yeah. then when we start to get that hyper vigilance yeah we're more in that so definitely like that chronic pain I think if you've kind of like been to physios and you've yes yeah, like massage nothing mechanical yeah yeah, and it's just like it keeps coming back and you might even start to realize mm, this happens to come back at times when I'm stressed or like when my relationship's not going super well or when things at work are really like not great between me and the boss or the team or, you know, I'm taking on too much load. It's like literal weight of the world on your shoulders, people pleasing literally on your shoulders. There's pain through all that area. Um, so be kind of looking at, is that something that you feel um and then like relating staying in that area you'd probably also you might experience um like tmj pain um or a tight jaw or you often feel like your teeth are together or clenched or grinding so i'm like a chronic grinder at night like teeth tooth grinder i'll have them like going to town on each other you so probably know around, what i'm gonna say about might, that <laughs> gut please help me <laughs> I was like I literally wormed myself the other day because I was like is this from worms <laughs> is this from worms but yeah you... yeah it is a big symptom of parasites <laughs> yeah yeah but yes you and I need to do some work on that um so but yes just like checking in with this area like is something going on here and then the throat as well like a lot of people um experience so you get your dry mouth and then a lot of people tell me that they have a sensation of like a, a a closing feeling in the throat or a tight throat or it feels like there's like a big um sticky point in there or like swallowing feels funny there's a lump in there so that's another one of my chronic areas as well if stress heightens for me or off the back of feeling um like i've got a cold so it will trigger off a somatic um kind of link I'll get a tight throat for, for weeks. And there's a funny name for it. And it's just totally gone out of my head, but it's like globus. Yeah, something globulus. There's, there's I just was having a conversation literally with somebody yesterday yeah. about this. Because there's the other name for it is like globus or globulus hystericus or something. It's like literally it makes you feel hysterical because it is, it's like psychosomatic, you know, so you I you know, go to your doctor and they'll be like, there's nothing wrong with your throat. Like you don't, there's nothing in there. You don't have inflammation that you don't have throat cancer you know but it's this constant feeling of it so it, you know just thinking about all of this think about what that relates to in terms of using your voice when it comes to people pleasing it's so interesting that we get all of this stuff going on around the throat and the mouth yeah and from um, an energetic perspective also... oh sorry yes from an energetic no. perspective this the show the throat chakra right and not yeah. speaking up for yourself not expressing what you need not yeah. saying what you really want to say and then feeling that constriction in the throat it's just yes 
they all come together. There's like a nervous system, somatic way to explain it. There's an energetic, like yogi way to explain it. And then there's like actual biology, like and physiological things happening in the body that can explain it too. So it's always cool when they all kind of come together across different modalities. And they fully support each other. It's like none of this stuff isn't like woo-woo Eastern kind of philosophy. It is is supported by science. It's like they knew this before we did in the West. It's like, yes shoulders the weight of the world and people is like burdens on you the throat and the mouth it's like your throat chakra like you say like I'm not stating my truth I'm not speaking for boundaries it's just like fascinating Mm -hmm. and then and you would be so clued up on all of this stuff the gut side of it could be another kind of expression of an unhappy nervous system so you might have like digestive issues bloating you know all the amazing stuff that you speak on that we have going on down there it might be constipation it might be diarrhea and it, so we have like emotional eating that ties in to this a lot of people kind of go into those like numbing type um numbing type responses and protective outputs so that this piece of the nervous system gets activated and you might find yourself like some people some of my clients like pick skin pick hair emotionally eat yeah. like online like shopping all of those hair, kind of numbing chew nails yeah oh man I was such a yeah, ther- yeah. therapeutic shopper it was crazy like I'm I mean I'm in debt for many reasons <laughs> one because of school <laughs> two because I had to take yeah, a student sing- loan yeah student loan what uh, you know another because I was unable to work for a long period of time because of my mental health and three because I shopped my feelings away like <laughs> and now I like don't shop at all it's so funny really annoying thing yeah well the annoying thing about it is like you get that momentary kind of relief or numbing or dopamine hit and then you have to do it all over again so we know that these behaviors like they don't serve us long term which is a real bugger because I mean I love a good shop but um, (laughs) not one that lasts so yeah there's definitely like a lot of those kind of numbing things that come up for people and then you might of course have stuff just like you know fatigue sleep disturbance just any kinds of signs like that um and then you you kind of get specific as well around form of tuning into and this is where you could start bringing in somatic um, practices as well um is tuning into those real specific form areas so like throat shoulders posture stuff right because there's an element of kind of sit up now collapse <laughs> like, that can happen yeah. yeah we're both yeah. like oh. we're both like <laughs> hunching over and then, yeah Is sit that... up nice and tall <laughs> I'm not fawning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we do we kind of you can like feel it around certain people do you like notice like there's someone that you feel like this around that you know you go into people pleasing mode and it's like just notice your posture that is yeah. a somatic intervention like make yourself like, smaller notice and you posture. don't even know you're doing it and you're yeah. just trying to make yourself small and like not threatening and yeah yeah yep exactly I don't need to look threatening because this is the threat um I want them to not be able to see me possibly and I'm and I'm also protecting parts of me that mm-hmm. I need to protect so it's like I'm going to start to round in through the shoulders collapsing through the spine and the chest protecting these like vulnerable kind of organs and things like that and then um you know a lot of people then also have like lower back and hip stuff going on because we get all protective and 
um, kind of rigid intense in all of those areas too you know you might notice your um your your eyes like what what watch what your gaze is doing um because we can often get kind of quite narrowed in when we're in spawn on something or like totally glazy spacey kind of on the other end so part of it another somatic thing is just orienting to your environment you know like maybe opening up your peripherals beginning to see what's out the side of you looking around your space trying to kind of find something that gives you a sense of safety in that space so the, the posture stuff is really important to check in on so interesting I I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like from both my personal perspective and my professional perspective that if there is any kind of nervous system dysregulation, the only way out is through the body. Like I really don't see, and again, this is not bashing talk therapy because I love it now, <laughs> but I really don't see especially if there's trauma, because a lot of the time you're just like being forced to kind of relive it when you talk about it, right? Instead of really kind of just going into the body and processing it. And I think this is just such a valuable tool for anybody, even if you're not struggling with a, a mental illness or a mental health issue or anything like that, is to really learn how to move energy and move emotions through the body because they can get stuck yeah absolutely and you love talk therapy now because you're regulated you know yes. it's like you you've got access to that now that part of your brain but if you're someone who's like in in the mixer of being in this place of fawn or, or stress or anxiety or whatever it is um you you do um, i do think there is just like ultimate value in bringing somatic practice into and it's not like it sounds real magical and mystical when we talk about it it's not like it's an instant fix it's not like a posture you get into and it's like oh it's all fixed and suddenly yeah. everything's kind of released but it's just this like tuning in and working with your nervous system working with your emotions with your body so when we think about that kind of communication right so our vagus nerve is this communicator that links brain and body and when we think about that's a two-way street but 80 percent of it is communication from the body back up to the brain and so there is stuff we can do at the level of thought like not to mm -hmm. discount that 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 comes back down into the body and we can kind of feed back those messages of safety and things like that but if the body's fully, fully dysregulated, it's not really going to listen to you saying we are calm, things are well, you know, it's, it's not going to get there. Also, because that part of your brain isn't really even functioning properly when we're feeling really anxious or when we're really in people pleasing and fawn, it goes a little bit offline. And so we're kind of coming from our, our limbic system, coming from those more threat and sensory based places in the brain and what you said before as well is so so fascinating and so important about um, trauma is that i think in the past a lot of therapies approached trauma from a purely kind of talk-based perspective and so people were talking about their traumas 
And the idea, I guess, from like a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective was that exposure kind of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. if we just talk about it enough and you're so exposed over and over again to that trauma, eventually you get desensitized to it. And so it no longer kind of has this impact in your life. But that is such a stressful process. And if and not always something that works at all and something that can very easily re-traumatize you mm-hmm. in the process. And so that's where all of these practices work so well is actually let's just use the body and regulate things first and you don't have to talk about it. Like, like you know, things like therapy, like EMDR, you don't have to talk about your trauma we can do things that process it in a different way because it's not your traumas usually aren't sitting there neatly packaged with with a clear story <laughs> like labeled like this is this this is this <laughs> <laughs> that would be great Here's the perfect timeline of trauma yeah. this is in the past this it doesn't work like that like the yeah. brain doesn't have a perfect filing system and when we go through something that is traumatic those memories tend to get really fragmented and then you look at brain scans of people with trauma and you see that those areas of like the amygdala is actually bigger you know it's become more sensitive to threat those areas are really lit up the areas that use language to articulate emotions are really not lit up not online and the memories are really fragmented and so yeah we really need to kind of just be open to using thematic stuff and I think that's kind of the key is coming at these things from a different a different angle because if you are able to do these little body-based things and a use them to regulate and b use them in those moments to notice things that are happening in form response and to kind of express that like complete the response that the body's wanting to do move out of it into different places with the body um you know that's where we begin to retrain these reflexive things and actually process them process the emotions yeah i had um i had a client come on the show a few episodes ago well it might be several by the time this one comes out um but she was saying you know she was like you know talk therapy makes so much more sense now to me And she's not the first one who's told me that. And I've actually had women when they come into working with me, you know, on their intake forms, I kind of ask them, what have you tried? But I also say, what are you looking to get out of this? And some of them have said, I want to actually be able to participate in therapy because I do see the benefits of it, but I'm just in such a heightened state that I just can't access whatever it is I need to access to get the benefits of therapy. And I think that's where, and I think maybe we're going to start to see this more and more and more where therapists are starting to do that post-education and continuing education and kind of get this somatic training because you start to see the blocks as you start to work with people. You're like, oh, this isn't really working the way I want it to be working. Like, what can I be doing here? Right? So this might be a really hard question. I'm kind of springing it on you, but if you had to pick your top five, like somatic practices for the fun response, what would they be? Uh, okay. Um, 
I'm I bet you like I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it and then I'll like when we get off this call I'll be like damn it I wish I had said these ones but oh I'll always just, I'm, I'll so so- about some- <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I I do that when I record, about some things that come to mind I record like ask me anything episodes and I always yeah. get off the call being like oh yeah I should have said that other thing too like what I said was great but then it's like our inner critic comes up, right? And we get off the call and we're like, oh no, I should have said this. I should have said this. Sometimes it'll be weeks later and I'll be in the shower two weeks later and I'll be like, I should have said this. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> calm down. Like what you said in the moment was perfect and it's going to help somebody. I do that with clients too. And sometimes yeah. I'll email them back and I'll be like, oh, and this, you know? <laughs> anyway, anyway, go. <laughs> okay. Let me hit you with a few. All right. Um. So. Something that I do love, and some of these things come from EMDR, which is a trauma processing um, style of modality of therapy, um, is like body scans is one, and then creating a safe place is another. And then it can be quite nice to use bilateral stimulation with those. So you're really kind of bringing in this connection piece to the body. So a body scan could be that you're you're sitting somewhere and you just begin at your feet and you just start to feel into what is the sensations that are there and you move through the body and this is done with these key conditions of um, non-judgment and just curiosity so i'm just beginning to feel in oh okay like there's a tension here like i'm noticing some some sensations i like to kind of equip and resource people when they're doing that with some more languaging because that's beginning to make that connection between the body and the part of the brain that can name things so i'd like to move away from words like pain like i can i'm noticing a pain here and into things like maybe there's a sensation here maybe it feels tight maybe it feels a little warm maybe it feels a little heavy whatever it is so getting people to scan through their body and so in doing this what we're doing is a somatic intervention but one that brings the brain and the body together which is something that so many of us run away from because they don't want to feel those things especially like I'm I'm I have put my hand up I've done I did that for years like I don't anxiety feels hideous you know so we we push away and we you know they can't cannot stand it so being able to come back in and do that differently is, is really lovely. Um, and then the safe place is a nice kind of somatic experience, visualization thing. So you just create your own safe place in your mind that you can come to when you need to. And that's quite nice for us people pleasers when we feel like someone maybe just texts us and asks us to do something or we can feel that we want to do that, like, follow up on someone like are you mad at me like what's going on is to take this pause and go to your safe place and so you've you visualized whether that's by the ocean or a cozy nook in a and an armchair by a fire or whatever it is as you create it it can be quite nice to take some bilateral stimulation so i like the butterfly hug where yeah. you just cross your arms cross your chest hug. and just yeah, just go back and forth tapping the shoulders. And what that is doing is helping the, the brain to connect the two hemispheres to process what it is it's experiencing. But it also helps you to somatically stay present and grounded. It's less likely that you dissociate when you're able to do something that keeps you in your body as well. 
Um, so things like that are quite lovely. Then like you could look into doing some specific somatic stuff depending on like which part of your body is having the response. So it's like if you notice a lot of um, tension in the shoulders uh, or the neck, maybe several times a day you're kind of doing some gentle shoulder rolls and neck rolls and just allowing your posture to open through here and just getting a sense into what that feels like. Um, another one that's really lovely would be taking like I, I think it's called a power pose usually, but it it's supposed to um, like increase the boost these levels of testosterone in you when you stand like this. So you know you kind of got your your feet hip width apart, your shoulders are back and down, your gaze is out, your chin is up, maybe even the hands are out by the oh, side. Oh, it's like mountain pose and like yoga. Really Mountain pose, it's yeah, just power pose. And, um, I love that. <laughs> and that's power pose. And, and you'll hear people say, like, before you go into a job interview, stand in power pose for two minutes, just looking around, making eye contact with a fake person, you know, breathing <laughs> into the space that you create. And it does, it kind of boosts your um, levels of confidence and testosterone. And um, so I think that's a really good one. It's so different to what we what we want to go into is that that really kind of curled up place um so i think that was number four yes i think that was <laughs> think four as well three. yeah yes um oh no i've just like thought of like a million that i wanted to do but <laughs> if um, you have a million to do more than five exaggeration that's too much yeah more than five is okay but i mean we don't want to get <laughs> We don't want to overwhelm people with all the options. But the thing is, you yeah, have I'll to try like, stuff on. Two yeah, two we have to try stuff on and see if it works for you, right? Like I did a vagus nerve um, oh, no, I've just program and she gave yes. tons of things. But she was saying like, you know, don't let it overwhelm you. Just give them each a spin and you're not going to like half of them and you're not going to do them. And then just do the ones that you do like. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I'm going to scrap a few that I was going to do that are quite <laughs> standard vagus nerve ones then. Give you a real specific one. And this okay. is called boundary sensing. Oh. Um, and this is such a cool one. So what you would do to do it is go around your house and you need to find three objects. So the first object has to be your yes object. So something that when you see it, you're just like, oh man, I love that thing. And like, it might be like a fluffy blanket or like a wheat bag that you love. Just something that when you see it, you're just like, oh, yes. And have this real sense of safety in the body or joy. The second one is a neutral object, something you just really don't care about. Uh, and then the third object is like a no object. And so it might be something that just gives you the ick and grosses you out. And it, like often people will choose like something of my wires, obviously. <laughs> of his I don't want in the house smelly socks <laughs> of your partners or like yeah like a dirty work sock or like a dish sponge that's kind of like it's ready to be washed or you know something like that right and you put the three things out in front of you and you sit with them and first off you just get a sense of like if I want to pick one up right now what is my body instantly drawn to and you you know it's going to be the yes subject right so before you grab it Think about what is happening in my body that lets me know I want that. And it might be that there's a movement toward feeling, like I'm leaning there. It might be a warmth that I feel in my chest towards it. It might be a settling in my tummy. My, my shoulders drop 
my hands want to go out, my eyes soften, I have a smile, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you pick up the yes object and just feel it. Like what happens in your body when you're holding a yes? And again, it'll be like what happens in your face? What happens in your posture? What do you feel on like a less tangible sense of, is it like a fuzzy warm feeling? Is it, you know, something glittery in you, you know, whatever. Do you want to put that on your face? Or does it feel like when you put it on your body, really sense in and then you try it with the other two and especially really tune in when you've got your no object and you'll see like I as I do this with like a group people like going to pick <laughs> it up with just their pincer fingers like a crab and then you look at people's faces like even doing it now as I'm thinking about it like the eyes squint or you frown or you're tightened through your jaw your chest tightens your shoulders raise your tummy feels tighter there's this sense of heaviness in the body so get a sense in like that is what a no feels like in your body and so it'll be much more subtle when it comes to feeling a no in in your everyday life so someone says to you hey do you want to come to this thing hey can you take on this extra project at work um can I kiss you if you're dating you know See what comes up. It might be much more subtle, but those are your no cues. And that's what we need to start to tune into as people pleasers as well. It's like what actually somatically happens in my body. And I just love this little object kind of thing. So that's my number five. I love that. (laughs) I love that. That reminds me of an exercise that I've I've seen a million times now in like self-help books. And I remember when... I had anxiety and panic and depression. It was very, very hard for me to date and to like seriously date because I just had so much anxiety in the relationships and I would overthink everything. And it was just like, it was no fun. So I just didn't want to do it. But I remember this activity and this is what it's reminding me of where you, same thing, like you need to, you know, get yourself in a space where you can really like tune into your body and you have to say, like a truth and a lie or something. So the lie would be like, you know, my name is Paul. That's obviously not true. Or, and then the truth would even just with your name, like what's your name and what's not your name and feel what that feels like in your body. And the lie, it would like constrict, like it's a part, like I I would feel it Mm -hmm. in my body. Like something would tighten, something would constrict. It was like, no, that's not true. And so that was an exercise that was shared with me when you have, these thoughts that you can't decipher like are they true are they not true so this is reminding me of that and I love that where it's like learning to understand somatically what a yes feels like what a no feels like what something neutral feels Mm -hmm. like and then using that to kind of inform your decision making process I think that's brilliant yeah I love that one too I'm going to steal that the truth and the lie because yeah people often like with anxiety they'll say like I don't know what is you know you have you heard someone like oh what does your gut say like what's your intuition yes so So that's what the history of people pleasing and anxiety you're like I don't know and also I can't trust it yeah because anxiety makes you feel like yeah something's gonna be wrong all the time and so you think that's your intuition and it, it, it isn't it's your anxiety so it helps you to learn the difference between the two yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's exactly I was blanking on what it was exactly for and now you said it intuition it was for learning to to really yeah. understand intuition and what feels like a yes and what feels like a no and it really is a muscle that you have to 
hone, like just going to the gym and building a muscle, right? You have to practice and practice. And then eventually it does become very intuitive. And now, um, you know, and you'll hear this in like the business world so much, like if it's not a hell yes, you know, don't do it. (laughs) And I actually get what that means now. Now I'm like, if someone asks me to do something, I know if it's a no or a yes. And I also I never say yes. I always say like, I'll check my calendar and get back to you. Even if I want to say yes, because genuinely yes. I need it. I need like, I need to, a day <laughs> to process it. Yeah. We'll overcommit if we're in a really good mood. You're like, yeah, I can do that. And then the next day you're like, why Please. did I say that? Yeah. yeah. It's such an important skill is to learn how to take a pause gap. And, and it's just a simple statement. Like you said, I'll, I'll come back. I'll come right back to you on that. It sounds amazing. I just need to check in. And like, I've started to say to people now, which is like, Oh, Bex would have been like, who the hell is that? But I'll say to people now, like, oh, I'm, I'm not actually sure if I've got the capacity for this. Like, yeah. I love the sound of it, but I don't think I've got the bandwidth. I'm sorry, I can't say yes to it. Like, there's no way I would have done that in the past. And it's and it's different when you really, like you say, when you practice it, you will get to a place where it feels like it does actually feel really natural as opposed to you keep thinking like, oh, no, is this avoidance? Like, am I going back into my anxious ways? Or, oh, I want to say yes to people, please it would just feel like a true north and you'll be like no it's a no because it's a no in my body not avoidance it's just not right and it's just such a nice place to get to and I've never regretted saying no to a situation or a thing or whatever I was saying no to that's the word I use to I say I don't have capacity for that like just like that like sometimes I don't even say sorry (laughs) sometimes I'm just like I don't have capacity for that you know, like, <laughs> yeah, and it really so does. Good. And there's that where that there's where that cognitive work comes in for you too. I guess is which where you've got to in therapy as well, and like where we get to this deconstructing those beliefs. Like, yeah, no, it's a full sentence, and I'm, you know, it's not my responsibility to manage other people's disappointment or however they feel about it. You know, my or you you have that you used to hold that belief like it's much better if I just feel uncomfortable rather than put someone else out. So there, there comes in that layer on top of the bodywork of dismantling um, all of those kind of unconscious beliefs that we hold around saying no and, yeah, doing all that stuff. I love that. I love that. Oh, this was such a good chat. Chat forever, just like when I came into your community yeah. and we were just like, oh, man, yeah. we could do this forever. We can't stop. <laughs> we can't stop. We can't stop. The two of us are so in alignment. There's just like, we'll be six hours later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. tell everybody where they can find you and you're going to send me all these links anyway. <laughs> I will. You can find me on my Instagram. So at journey to wellness there's an underscore under all of the words there's so many underscores but <laughs> start typing journey to wellness i'll pop up um or over on my website which is www.journeytowellness.online and so that's where like there's a course on people pleasing we do monthly release classes where we use somatic practices so there's all sorts of courses goodies classes and things like that there Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I mean, I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is such a great combo. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. 
If you loved today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.